Um, this is Marsh. He is um, the project director at the Good Thinking Society, and he's going to talk to us about homeopathy in the UK. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, everyone, uh, for that kind of lovely, warm welcome. It's lovely to be back here. I think I was here about a year ago, something like that, to talk about some of the different kind of adventures and, and weird stuff I'd been up to in the world of scepticism up until that point. And this is kind of like moving on from there. Uh, so is anyone who was here a year ago who, who saw me speak here in the past, or are you all completely new and have no idea who I am and are slightly confused as to why I'm rambling like this about my history when I'm just a complete unknown to you? Okay, I'm an unknown. That's great. That means there's plenty of things that I can talk about. Uh, well, well, luckily, I'm prepared for you not knowing who I am, because this is a bit about me. Um, so I started the uh, Merseyside Skeptic Society in February 2009, and we were kind of one of the early skeptics in the pubs, and we, we set up as a skeptic society. And our idea was that as well as kind of being a place where you'd come and kind of have conversations with people who share a similar kind of value system to you or willing to challenge value systems generally, uh, we'd also be this kind of external-looking um, activist group who would try and see whether we could start influencing the kind of the pseudoscience that you see in the world around you on a, on a fairly daily basis and start also investigating and see what's actually there uh, once you start looking. Because the more you look for, for nonsense in the world, the more you find uh, an unendless source and supply of it. And that's what we've really been doing over the last kind of six years or so. And uh, kind of the stuff in the middle is, is various different projects that I've been involved in or different podcasts and various other things like that. Uh, and on the left there, that's the, that's the, the logo of the Good Thinking Society, which is a, a skeptical charity set up by Simon Singh, who you may well know who Simon Singh is. And anybody who knows who Simon Singh is and doesn't know who I am, I mean, massively offended that, oh, yeah, I know that guy. You've mentioned a name I actually know now. You're starting to, your ears prick up. Um, but yeah, Simon's a, a very famous, very fantastic science writer. And he started realizing that he was doing a lot more kind of work uh, writing about non-science than about science. So in, I think, 2012, he set up a charity called the Good Thinking Society with the idea of seeing what we could do to kind of um, challenge pseudoscience in a structural way, in a kind of systematic way, in an organized professional way, and see whether we could really start to make a, a difference on it, make a dent on nonsense, essentially. And uh, that's been going on since 2012. I joined in uh, March 2014, so I'm about 18 months-ish in, and uh, we've been doing lots of kind of stuff while I've been involved. Um, so this is the, the Good Thinking team. There's myself, there's Simon, there's Laura Thomason, who's fantastic, does fantastic work uh, writing complaints and regulatory stuff about alternative medicine. And there's Johnny Shannon there as well. So this is kind of the team of four of us. And we try and sort of peg our activities around a number of different things, really. So we'll do a thing, we'll do a science advocacy. So obviously we live in a world where science has a huge and beneficial role in our lives. And yet there are people who will still say vaccines aren't useful and are actually harmful. They'll still say that man has no effect on any changes to the climate. You know, there, there are still people out there who are denying science and yet they're kind of uh, living a life that profits heavily, heavily from the, the effects of science. You know, they haven't died at the age of 30 from a vaccine preventable, preventable disease. So there's this massive disconnect for lots of people between the, the good side of science and what science uh, and, and how they feel about science. And, and people kind of think that science is them squiggles you saw on a blackboard when you were 15 years old and haven't really thought about since. So what we try and do is try and demonstrate to people that science is something that's kind of it's good and is something we should be uh, promoting and, and try and lessen that gap between people's uh, fear of science or denial of science and the benefit of science in their lives. And there's things that we're doing with good thinking in that area. Uh, for example, um, one of the, the big projects that Simon's been working on over the last year 
is working on a, an advanced maths curriculum uh, that he's piloting in a couple of schools to really push the best mathematicians in that school that bit further. So it's further than A-level to tr- try and really sort of stretch the most mathematically gifted and make it much easier for them and make much to, to, to stretch much further when they get to university level and really sort of uh, drive excellence in maths. And that's one of the things we're doing to kind of promote good science and good, good kind of uh, education, that kind of stuff. Um, the other side of what we do is consumer protection. So we go out there looking for where there are bad ideas and we see what we can do to try and spread awareness of these bad ideas, these harmful ideas, uh, ideas around... Uh, one of the things we did uh, a little while ago was uh, we uh, sent someone into a, a conference that was spreading misinformation about cancer. It was specifically saying, here are all the different alternative medicines you can take if you have cancer. And it was giving phenomenally bad advice to people who actually had cancer in the audience, saying you shouldn't go back and see your doctor. The doctor just wants to get money out of you. You should gargle with this supplement and take this pill over here and take this particular herb and that's going to sort you out. And it was incredibly harmful stuff. And because we were able to be there and because we were able to film that advice going on and we were able to sort of pass that to the media and, and put together a whole investigation, we were able to get that front page of the Daily Telegraph pointing out that this is really dangerous stuff and that following this advice can get you to some pretty dark places. So we really try and make life trickier for people to, to sell bad ideas to people and to try and, uh, and to take advantage of people's vulnerability. And that's what we do in terms of direct activism. You know, we try and look for the, the individuals or the groups or the companies who are selling bad ideas and we try and bring them to the attention of regulators and the media and the police and all sorts of things like that. Uh, And so that's kind of a bit of all sorts that we do there. Um, And there's a few projects we've been working on since uh, I joined Good Thinking in 2014. It's going to be far too long a list for you to to read, and maybe some of you will have seen little bits of those. Uh, But really, we've done an awful lot of uh, different things uh, over the last kind of 18 months or so. And it's this last one that I really want to focus on today, which is our homeopathy challenge. We're trying to actively fight homeopathy uh, in uh, where it kind of pervades our health service, things like that. because really, um, I guess uh, the, the reason uh, that I, I'm giving this talk is because I think we have a genuine problem uh, in this country, and uh, that problem specifically is, uh, is, is homeopathy. And I like that. This, this is what happens when I try and give a talk. I spend about three hours farting around on Photoshop making covers of Sex Pistols songs <laughs> in a satirical Prince Charles style. It's a really uh, great way to start uh, pro- procrastinating from writing a talk. Is the flag upside down? That's actually the one from um, uh, God Save the Queen, the uh, original release by the Sex Pistols. I've actually pulled it directly off. So you can blame Johnny Rotten uh, directly rather than me. Uh, but good spot. Very good spot. Um, so first of all, I'll just check. Is there anyone who knows nothing about homeopathy? Do you want me to do the quick introduction to homeopathy? I'll kind of do it throughout the course of this talk generally anyway, but it seems that people are fairly well acquainted, which is good. Um, so uh, my activism about homeopathy started in 2010 uh, when with the Merseyside Skeptic Society, we had this idea and what we did, we'd identified essentially that whenever the media talk about homeopathy, they say it's, it's very dilute. They say there's barely anything left in it. There's barely any active substance. And actually, we know, science knows, you know, that the reality is there is nothing in homeopathy. It is just sugar pills. It's diluted to a point where there is nothing at all left in it. And then they're sold as if they have any effect. And we know every study that's well conducted shows there is no effect to these things at all. And yet they're on sale in boots. They're supplied on the NHS. They're available all over the place. And, and many of the public have heard the word homeopathy, 
But when you ask them what it is, they'll say, oh, it's natural medicine, it's herbal medicine, uh, it's, it's that kind of stuff, when they don't realize there is nothing in homeopathy at all. So there's this kind of um, PR win that there's been for homeopathy to, to disguise itself as just herbal medicine, when actually it's something very specific. I mean, there's nothing at all natural about homeopathy, because the idea that the more you dilute something, the stronger it gets, which is a central tenet of homeopathy, that is the least natural thing in the world. You know, a child, a five-year-old child with some right Bina will disprove you on that. Uh, you, you won't be able to pull the wool over his eyes there. Uh, so we had this idea that rather than focus on the science about why homeopathy doesn't work, which clearly isn't enough to convince everybody, otherwise people would have stopped using homeopathy a long time ago. So there must be something else that's keeping them using it, or maybe, maybe there's something else we can do to stop them, or to, to highlight why it's nonsense. So we had this idea that rather than do any of the science stuff, we'll just focus on the simple message, there is nothing in homeopathy. And that's where the 1023 campaign come from. Because what we did is, on the, on the same day in 13 different cities around the country, we had people go into their local boots and buy some homeopathic sleeping pills, and then stand outside of their local boots and take an overdose on those homeopathic sleeping pills. And this happened in 13 different uh, cities around the country. 300 people took part, and it happened at 1023 in the morning specifically. And it was called the 1023 campaign. The strapline was, homeopathy, there's nothing in it. And the idea was really to push that home. And the reason it was called 1023 is that if you think that homeopathy is all about diluting something, you take a drop of onion juice and put it into 99 drops of water because onion juice is good for curing hair fever, apparently, because hair fever makes your eyes water, onions make your eyes water, like cures like, therefore onions will stop your eyes watering due to hair fever. That's the genuine principle of homeopathy. You take your drop of uh, onion juice into 99 drops of water, give that a shake, bang it against a leather-bound book, preferably a Bible. That's what they believe. Um, give that a shake, take a drop of that into another 99, and then again and again and again and again and again. Over here, you've just got water. There's nothing but water left because everything's become so diluted and so diffuse, you're not going to find a single bit of that onion juice. And the point at which that becomes true is called the Avogadro limit, which is 6.02 times 10 to the 23. It's about in the middle there. Once you've done it a certain number of times, you know, about uh, 1 into 99, uh, 12 times, you get to the Avogadro limit. Anything after that is just water. So the idea of our campaign was we'd call it 10.23 after the Avogadro limit, and we'd overdose at 10.23 in the morning after the Avogadro limit, so that when this was reported in the media, they'd have to explain the significance of the number and therefore have to explain Avogadro and therefore have to tell people there was nothing in homeopathy. It was very strategic and very specific. And this was front page of the BBC News. It was in the Daily Mail, the Observer. Uh, in Every national newspaper ran this story, and every single one of them fixed that point about homeopathy. They said there is nothing in homeopathy. The campaign named after the Avogadro limit, named after the chemical uh, principle that proves there's nothing in homeopathy. So for a while, we were able to change the discourse around homeopathy, just based on this little idea. So that was, that was 2010. It got to 2011, and I thought, how big could the 1023 campaign get? We've done the country. Could we do the world? Could I get in touch with every single uh, skeptical group in the world and ask them whether they want to take part? Could I find skeptics who are interested in homeopathy somewhere in the world where there isn't a group and ask them if they want to take part and have them follow our kind of lead or follow our instructions to all do the same thing at 1023 local time all on the same day? How big could it get? Well, this is how big it could get. Every blue dot on that map is a separate 1023 overdose. Uh, so we had uh, 1,700 people in 70 different cities around the world, 30 different countries, all seven continents, including Antarctica, which was amazing. It was this Australian scientist who was going there for research and was like, do you mind if I take some and join in? He said, definitely do. That'd be brilliant. And there was loads of kind of interesting pictures from all over, all over the world, really. And this was kind of a, the starting point. This was the, 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 the big thing that I first did in skepticism, the thing that I got most kind of excited about, because what really excited me was that 
this was a very simple little daft idea. You know, it was, it was a very simple thing to comprehend. It didn't take any huge amounts of expertise. All it took was the will to get some homeopathy and to take it and then say, yeah, I took part. And we found loads of people wanted to take part because of it. And we found loads of people then went away and started being more involved in skepticism or started looking at anywhere they could to try and challenge homeopathy. And this was really quite exciting to me. Um, and actually, what I, what I want to show you is, while uh, you, you can't quite see, but there was also an overdose in Manchester on the same day. And this was the first ever QED conference. Uh, it's a conference that I run in Manchester with uh, colleagues of mine in the, the Merseyside and the Greater Manchester Skeptics. And while we had 1,700 people around the world, 350 of them were in the same place in Manchester. And this is what it looks like when 350 skeptics all take a mass overdose of homeopathy Five, at the same time. Four, three, two, one. Crunch still haunts me. I'm glad to report no one since then has died of that, well, as far as I know. Certainly not because of the homeopathy. I haven't uh, checked them individually, but I think they're all all right. Uh, so that just shows you that uh, I think this is the biggest ever mass suicide and no one died, which is fantastic. Um, so this is kind of uh, around this time, I was doing a lot of kind of stuff to talk to people about homeopathy, talk to friends, talk to the media. I was on doing interviews on the radio. And what came up quite often was people were saying, well, it's harmless, isn't it? It's just sugar pills. It must be harmless. What's a harm? It can't harm anyone. There's nothing bad in there. Uh, and they sound like a very persuasive idea. Um, because if you go into Boots, where, you know, they sell God knows how many millions of pounds worth of homeopathy a year or did at the time, um, they're not going to give you homeopathy for anything serious. If you've got a headache, if you've got a bruise, if you've got a cold, the kind of stuff that's just going to go away by itself, that's the kind of stuff you're going to be able to buy something for in boots. But the problem is the fact that it's in boots, which has a great reputation, despite the fact it's selling you nonsense, and the fact that it's on the NHS, and the fact that it's kind of legitimized in these ways, and the fact that the media occasionally run very praising articles with Annabelle Croft talking how wonderful homeopathy is. And then every time you see that article, you think, I bet there's no editor in the world who sat there and thought, I wonder what Annabelle Croft's up to these days. This is definitely a press release from a homeopathy institution who's trying to get themselves mentioned in the paper. Uh, but because it's uh, available on these places, it legitimizes it to a point where maybe the next time someone wants homeopathy, they don't go to Boots, they go and see a private homeopath. And this can lead to some very dangerous places. And in fact, in 2006, there was this investigation by uh, Newsnight, Sense About Science, and Simon Singh, before he was involved in Good Thinking Society, uh, where they sent a student into 10 different homeopaths, all, uh, the same student, 10 different homeopaths, with the story that they were going to West Africa, and they were very worried about uh, t catching malaria. They needed to take anti-malarials. They were worried about the side effects of anti-malarials, so they'd like to take something homeopathic if it's available. Could you give me something homeopathic? And 10 out of 10 homeopaths were willing to give them homeopathic anti-malarials. They were willing to send them off to a place to catch a tropical disease armed with nothing but sugar pills. And this just shows you the danger that can happen once you start accepting this, this entirely alternative ideology in. Once you let this kind of system go unchecked, you, you let it go unchecked for headaches and bruises. And before you know it, someone is giving people deadly advice that could genuinely kill them. And this is 2006, and this was a big scandal. I mean, this was on Newsnight. They had Simon on Newsnight. They had the head of uh, the Society of Homeopaths, and they were talking about how terrible this was. And the society were kind of embarrassed by this and saying, this is obviously wrong. We need to talk to our members. We need to make sure this changes. So you'd imagine they'd learned their lesson. You'd imagine they wouldn't be making these claims anymore. 
Well, I give a talk uh, here last year. I've also given it around most of the skeptics in the pubs in the country, which allowed me to essentially tour the country going into homeopaths. And so I would go in and ask them exactly this question. I'm, I'm going somewhere where I'm told I need to take anti-malarials, but I'm very worried. Could you give me something homeopathic? And so many were willing to give me a no-sword, a homeopathic vaccine. And this is one very, very prominent uh, national chain that I'm going to show you a video of now because I've got an undercover camera that I use. And this is, this is their advice to me when I asked them whether I could take some homeopathic uh, no-swords, vaccines for malaria. The recommendation that we used to have yeah. that used to say, <laughs> now we're not allowed to have that. Yeah. It used to say when you're in a high risk area that you take the malaria mosaic once a week and you take another remedy called China every other six days of the week, and China relates to symptoms that would come up with malaria. However, a homeopath, depending on the time that you're away, would not always recommend that you take a prophylactic, you know, without having symptoms to keep taking a homeopathic remedy, you can end up Right, and I, and I guess that's kind of, you, you, come, you become ill from that, do you, I guess? You would, you would start manifesting symptoms. Oh, right, okay, okay, well, obviously you don't want that. Yeah, so there is that consideration in terms of how long you're away, hmm. talking to a homeopath and their recommendations, and there is... The idea of I yeah, take things that right. treat when well, when the symptoms are present. Yeah, and, and it's a matter of doing research. You know, when when you go away in terms of how effective things are. If if you were to contract something and to be treated. Yeah. So I don't know if you followed what she was saying there. But first of all, she said, well, I can't really tell you this anymore because I'm not allowed to. But what I will say is, yes, I can definitely help you. Yes, there is this homeopathic no-sword, this homeopathic malaria vaccine that will stop you getting malaria. But then she said, if you take that when you haven't got malaria, you might end up with the symptoms of malaria because that's how homeopathy works. If you want to know what a remedy does, you give it to a healthy person and then see what happens to them. And whatever symptoms they get, that's what it's meant to treat, which is nonsense, obviously. Um, but the thing that I find most troubling there, she said, because of that, because you might worry about getting the symptoms from the remedy, she said, essentially saying it's much better to wait until you've got malaria and then go and see your homeopath and see what they can do. You know, this is the worst case scenario. This is the worst advice you could possibly give someone. And this is after they've been stung, they've been demonstrated to be given this advice. So this is why I still think it's incredibly important that even as uh, silly and cartoonish and nonsensical as homeopathy is, it's really important that we carry on campaigning against it. And it's also why, as a charity, Good Thinking have been campaigning against this for some time. We also even have a text appeal number. We are a charity. We do accept donations. If you care about this kind of stuff and you think this kind of stuff needs to be uh, fought and you think that we're fighting it the right way, there is the opportunity to wing us a fiver at any point in this talk. I won't mention it too often, but it is there. Um, so, while this is all going on, um, around about, I would say, uh, April or March of uh, last year, maybe about April, something like that, um, completely out of the blue, I got contacted by a law firm who saw the work I'd done with uh, 1023. It was at Bindman's, who are a fantastic public law firm who've got a great, great, like an international reputation of excellence in the, in the field of public law and challenging uh, unfair decisions made using public money, essentially, and making sure that's well spent. And they said they were really interested in what they could be doing to challenge whether uh, the government's provision of homeopathy on the NHS was even legal. Because in 2010, the government reviewed all the evidence and said, we don't think there's any good reason to be funding it. We don't think it should be funded. And yet in 2013, 2014, it was still being funded. So we thought maybe this is something that we could do. 
Uh, so because of this, because we're working with these two fantastic lawyers there, Jamie and Salima, um, we, spent, we spent about a year really exploring every single avenue we could think of. Uh, which involves all sorts of stuff. We end up writing to, to the National Institute of Clinical Excellence to say if you issue guidance about the use of homeopathy, how you're not, you're not supposed to use it, GPs will listen and they'll stop using it. And they said, well, we can't issue guidance unless we're asked by the Department of Health. Uh, so we've written to the Department of Health uh, many times. Uh, our lawyers are currently involved in quite a lengthy conversation, which hopefully we'll be able to talk about in the future. Uh, we've written to the MHRA to make sure that um, there are existing rules which say that the majority of homeopath- homeopathic products are unlawful because they have no licenses. We're just saying enforce the rules because people are getting harmed here, and that's something we're still doing. Uh, and then the other thing we're doing is we, we looked at where in the country homeopathy is available on the NHS to see if we can challenge it individually. Because the thing is, when it comes to NHS funding, there is no single part of the NHS that decides whether you will or won't uh, commission homeopathy. Uh, that decision isn't made that way. In fact, there isn't even anybody who... Uh, all these decisions are have to be made uh, at a regional level. So every different one of the 211 clinical commissioning groups makes that decision for themselves. And as an adjunct to that, there isn't even anybody who knows how much money is spent on the NHS because there's nobody who collates those figures. They're all individual regional figures and there's nobody in the NHS whose job is to say, how much money are we spending on bullshit that we know doesn't work? Nobody does that. So the only way to get that figure would be this really arduous process where you'd have to essentially ask every single one of these CCGs using a freedom of information request what they spend in a year and then chase them up and then collate it and then make sense of that. And that's a really boring, annoying, bureaucratic and tricky procedure. And I know exactly how boring it is because I spent about a year doing it. Um, so I actually now have the figures for how much we spend on homeopathy in this country in a way that the NHS doesn't have. Uh, and I want to take you through those. So um, there's 211 different CCGs. Uh, we'll do them alphabetically, starting with A. We've got plenty of time here. We're not, no one's, can we lock the doors? No, okay. It's actually much quicker than that, because the majority of uh, CCGs in this country simply do not fund homeopathy. They got back to us and said, zero spend. We've got a policy where we will not, uh, not, will not provide it. If you live in this CCG, you do not get homeopathy. And this, as you can see, is a massively long list. And Oxfordshire is in there, so there's no homeopathy in Oxfordshire. Uh, you'd be very happy to, to hear. So this is a huge, huge list. And we thought, well, actually, once you see that list, out of 211 CCGs, and you say, well, homeopathy is available on the NHS, this list kind of makes you think, well, is it? Because the majority of this country, the overwhelming majority, simply does not fund it. In fact, if you look at how the the stats break down, um, 85% of the country said we don't fund it. Uh, There was uh, 7%, there was 14 CCGs who said we do fund it. And then there was 17 who said we don't know whether we do or don't. Um, And I'll come back to those ones because those are interesting ones. Um, so we had all these figures now, uh, and it made us think, well, we've got these, what is it about these 31? Let's assume that the 17 who say we don't know, let's assume they do and don't want to tell us. So let's say it's 31. Uh, what is it about those? Is there a pattern to where you can get homeopathy? Is there a kind of a reason why it's them ones and not others? Is there something we can do to understand what's going on and then to start to pick at the threads of it? So we, I decided to color in a map of everywhere where you can get homeopathy. And I want to show you that map now and see if you can spot a pattern. Uh, so here we are. Um, so all the white ones don't fund homeopathy. The red ones here do, and the orange ones are the ones who said they couldn't say. And uh, in case you, uh, you're not too uh, au fait with uh, the lie of the land in terms of homeopathy in this country, I'll just point out where the homeopathic hospitals are. And uh, it's pretty clear that the, the only homeopathy spend really is in the catchment area of the homeopathic hospitals. Uh, there's three homeopathic hospitals. There's another one up in Glasgow, uh, but I don't have the Scottish figures because they use a different freedom of information law, and I was kind of looking at England first. Um, so, and there used to be one in Tunbridge Wells that shut down about 2005, I think. So it's kind of been gone a while now. Um, so it's pretty clear that 
to get homeopathy, you just have to be living near one of the hospitals, unless you're in Newcastle, whereas for, for God knows why, they're this weird little outcrop of homeopathy spending. And when I kind of fill this in, it made me think, what the hell is going on in Newcastle? What's that? Why are they funding it when they're nowhere near a homeopathic hospital? The rest of the stories I can understand. Uh, so I want to take a, a bit of a closer look at the, the Newcastle spending. And I'm now going to show you, by CCG, the, the level of spending per year on homeopathy. And to make this a bit more interesting than a simple kind of uh, page full of figures, I'm going to make a little game of it. Um, so we've all seen uh, Brucey's play your cards, right? Higher and lower? Okay. Uh, so first of all, I'll give you the first one. So Gateshead CCG, in a year in 2013, spent £176 per year on homeopathy, which is quite small. Um, so, uh, South Tyneside CCG, is it higher or lower than £176? We've gone higher? The answer is lower, £14. Okay, uh, Newcastle West CCG, higher or lower than 14 quid? Higher. Higher, yes, of course it is. It's a whopping £37. Uh, and then, uh, Newcastle North and East CCG, higher or lower than 37 Oh, I see, I see. Like that, is it? Anyone want to venture a guess who hasn't seen this at QED? Higher, okay. It wasn't higher. It was £3.27. £3.27 in a year. I saw that and thought, I spend more than £3.27 in a year on homeopathy. I know it's bullshit. I'm campaigning against it. I spend more than £3.27 personally on homeopathy in the last year. Uh, so if we add all this up, you can see it's not the biggest thing in the world. It's 240 quid nearly, 230 quid, uh, which isn't, it's nothing. It's a drop in the ocean for, for the NHS. So I'm not as worried about these figures. But at the same time, that's four different CCGs. There's only 31 in the country that fund it. Uh, so these represent a sizable percentage of the, the number of CCGs that still fund it. So this is kind of a big part of the story for such a ridiculously small spend. And also, if you're in the, uh, if you're in Newcastle and you're a homeopath, you could in all right say, uh, homeopathy must work. The NHS here funds it. So even though it's a tiny, tiny amount, the symbolic nature of that amount is still something that's worth us kind of uh, looking at, I think, and still something worth us uh, caring about. But it wasn't top of our priority list. So we moved on to, uh, to, to Bristol, the Bristol area. Spends are much higher here. So 39,700 is your starting point. Uh, so uh, let's have a look at North Somerset CCG. Higher or lower than 39? Higher, we're saying? It's uh, 24. Okay, uh, Bristol CCG, higher or lower than 24? Yeah. 145,000 pounds a year. That always gets a gasp. Always gets a gasp, that one. Uh, South Gloucester CCG? Lower, yes, 24,000. And then Dorset CCG, higher or lower than 24? Uh, a bit of a mixed result. It was 8,000 pounds. Uh, so we topped this up. It's 242,000 pounds a year. That's nearly a quarter of a million pounds. This is now a sizable sum and something that's really worth looking at. And it's why it's really worth us spending our time uh, campaigning against this, I honestly think. Um, and the thing is, this is quite a high figure. Just asking these questions can get you to places where you, you wouldn't necessarily expect. Because uh, there was another person who was asking, at the same time as asking about this, uh, as I was asking about this, someone else was asking these figures and asking about the homeopathic hospital. And uh, this story emerged in the Bristol Post. Oh, by the way, yeah, if you care about it, this is why I think we should care about it. <laughs> I wasn't sure that was there or not. Um, so this was a story in the Bristol Post about exactly how much money gets spent on homeopathy. And it's pointing out that this is actually scandalous, that the homeopathic hospital in Bristol uh, spends this kind of money. This was a, a local news story that then became a local radio news story that became, then became kind of a bone of contention and a bit of a scandal. And this all came off the back of a single freedom of information request uh, by a guy who had no idea that this came from him. He hadn't even seen this story until I found him and said, did you know that you caused all of this? There was this kind of consternation in Bristol and a massive debate about whether they should carry on funding homeopathy and in part it was because you just asked them how much they spent and this got out and it just it's the thing that i always like to, to say to people is that it's always worth doing something 
because you have no idea the effect or the knock-on effect, the butterfly effect of that little thing that you do. And you've, you can't predict where your, uh, your action goes. And I think that's a great example of it in this case. So that was £242,000 I think he found. Uh, my, I also sent them a, an FOI request, and they told me it was about £299,000 a year is how much the hospital gets in total from the NHS. So that's 240000 from the, the local CCGs and an extra £50,000 of kind of centralised funding just to kind of make the whole thing run, uh, which is quite a huge amount. Um, and they also told me that they were completely supplied by a homeopathic pharmacy called Freeman's Homeopathic Pharmacy up in Glasgow to the tune of £28,000 a year. And I thought, well, this is a nice opportunity to take us north of the border and see what's going on with homeopathy in Glasgow. Because they've also got a, a homeopathic hospital. Um, I also wrote to them to find out how much they were getting of NHS money and spending on sugar pills that we know do nothing at all. And they were spending in a year $1.3 million. Uh, so this, was, this came from my Freedom Information request, this story in the Scottish Express. In fact, they told me it was 1.7. So I think there's a bit of a discrepancy between what they told me and what ended up in the papers. I'm not quite sure how to account for that. But let's assume it's 1.3. That's not a small amount. That's quite a huge amount, really, when we know that there's nothing to this. And even more shockingly, uh, the Glasgow homeopathic, the, the, uh, the journalist who was looking into this at the Express found out that the hospital treats 355 patients a year for a cost of 1.3 million, uh, at a, tu- a cost of, uh, 3,600 per patient. And bear in mind, there's no benefit to this at all. And also, what a cushy job it must be working at that hospital when you treat, on average, just less than one person per day. That must be a very, very easy way of, uh, of getting by. Um, so this is a huge amount to me. Now, this is where it gets to be a, a real uh, issue. I'll carry on talking over the ambulance. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, no, this is where it gets to be a huge issue. So I started looking at what exactly was going on up there. Because they also told me in the free of information request that they also have a contract with Glasgow Homeopathic Pharmacy uh, and th- to get all their homeopathic remedies. And I, they didn't tell me how much, but we can probably reasonably infer it's a sizable uh, chunk, more than the £28,000 a year at Bristol, just because the whole budget of the, the, the hospital's higher. So this pharmacy must be making at least £50,000 from the NHS, as best we could tell. So I decided to take a look at it. And um, what I found, I mean, they have uh, the most remarkable website I think I've ever been on. It's terrible. It's impossible to use. Uh, but they list all the different homeopathic remedies that they have available. And it's one of the greatest lists I have ever seen in my life. Because uh, they've got 3,400 different homeopathic remedies that you can buy. And they are bonkers. Uh, 489 of them are made out of animals. Uh, so you can buy some homeopathic albatross or some homeopathic baboon, uh, homeopathic buzzard, seven different types of homeopathic butterfly. I don't know why you'd need to granulize the type of butterfly you need to that level of specificity. There was only one type of beetle on there. Seven, I, I'm, I'm amazed by that. No one else seems to care about that. I, I want my bullshit done consistently, essentially. Um, it wasn't just animals. Uh, there was also some human remedies, 111 of them, uh, homeopathic brain, homeopathic eye, homeopathic liver, homeopathic semen. If anybody wants some homeopathic semen, I know I can get you some fairly cheap. Um, <laughs> homeopathic breast cancer aspirate. And that makes me go, because there's only one reason you could be doing that. There's only one thing you could be giving that to people for. It's got to be breast cancer, right? I can't imagine something else. So that seems to be pretty indicative that this could actually go to some pretty dark places. Um, there's some just bizarre ones. Six different homeopathic colours. Uh, so if you want some homeopathic blue, the colour blue, you can have that. But you can also get a homeopathic full spectrum, which makes me think, why would I spend my money on homeopathic blue? I'm going to get the full spectrum every time. It's like a multivitamin. I get a bit of everything, surely. I, why wouldn't you do that? Um, and then there's some just bizarre ones, 104 of them. Uh, homeopathic asbestos. Uh, homeopathic beef, which I like. Uh, homeopathic carpet. I like the homeopathic carpet. 
Because carpet is just material that's on the ground. It, it might be made of wool or polyester or cotton, but it doesn't matter if it's on the ground. But this isn't, it's not going by the fabric. It's where you put it is what matters. Uh, similarly, they had homeopathic, well, diesel fumes is a bit weird. Homeopathic fairy liquid. Not washing up liquid, specifically the brand name fairy liquid. It was just bizarre. Uh, homeopathic fire. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who has to dilute fire for a living. I don't think you're going to get very far. Uh, and then there's homeopathic MRI scan, which is water that's been in an MRI scanner. Um, so it's, it's, it's the craziest list. It's, the really the, the, uh, it's worth looking at. This is a very short section of what is the most kind of bonkers list I think I've ever seen. Um, but I read that and I thought... These guys are suppliers to the NHS. Surely this is just like a legacy thing like they used to sell. They don't sell any of this stuff anymore, surely. Surely they don't. Maybe I'll ask them. Um, so I phoned them up and asked them whether they would sell me one of their homeopathic products. And because I'm the kind of guy who records things an awful lot, uh, here is that, that phone call for you to, uh, to listen to and, and witness in its full glory. So do you actually make all the, the remedies that are on, on your site there? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, okay, that's, that's good to know. Because uh, I must admit, that I was trying to find something, and I was having a good look around your site, and I was surprised by some of the things that are on there. It was things like, I mean, I, I was looking at the, the pollen, and there, there was stuff on there from, like, owls. You make an owl uh-huh. remedy? How, how do you, I don't know how you go about making a, a remedy from an owl, really. Well, oh. the, the, by the feathers. Oh, that, yeah, that, yes, that makes sense. And is that for, like, people who are allergic to owls? Well, it can, the thing is, with um, it's not like it's much that they're actually, um, you know, allergic to owls. They could have the characteristics of one, you know, where you know they kind of uh, they don't sleep, and you know they can pick. Some people can actually pick up characteristics of animals. Oh right, okay. Um, so that you know, some homeopathic doctors like to treat that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's they kind of get into kind of like all like animals and you know kind of things like that. We don't give them out over just over the counter. Mm. That's actually doctors and practitioners. You know, that's that's for you know like them to prescribe. Right. Okay. Oh, that's that's really good to know. Then. Um, all right, I'll give that a try. Thank you so much okay, for your help. Okay. Really bye bye. I'm quite fond of that conversation for various reasons. Um, so first of it is, it is on YouTube, actually, yes, yeah. We, we publish it in the mirror, so it got quite a lot of uh, attention. It's fun. Um, so one of the reasons I really like it is that, so she tells me all the reasons that you, you know, you, you know that you uh, need this owl remedy because you've taken on the characteristics of an owl, which include not being able to sleep and nothing else. And I think we've got a word for people who can't sleep at night. It's insomnia. It's not called becoming a fucking owl. You know, this is amazing to me. Um, but at least, at least she did tell me that this isn't the kind of thing you can just buy over the counter or buy online. You need a prescription. You need to talk to a doctor. It, it, that's how that works. So you can't get your homeopathic owl without prescription, which is good in a way. But then I, then I also kind of thought, is that actually true? So I phoned them back a week later and I bought some homeopathic owl. And uh, there it is. There's my homeopathic owl right there. And uh, if anyone would like to witness, don't open it. I haven't opened it yet. But if you want to have a look at what you get for, for £10 worth of homeopathic owl, uh, here it is. I never leave home without a homeopathic owl uh, these days. And the thing about this is, uh, bear in mind, this is a supplier to the NHS. £50,000, at least, the best I can tell, of our money goes to these people who sell bonkers crap. That does not work. you know. And, and as best I can tell, it's also not legal to do this. Because... When you are selling a medicine, 
And anything where you say this has an effect, and clearly she was telling me this has an effect. If you can't sleep, this will help. So clearly she's making a direct health claim about this. Uh, anytime you are selling something that has an effect, you need a license to do it. And there is not a license to sell homeopathic owl. So this is an unlicensed medicine. It's not lawful. It's breaking the law to sell us this. And this is something we were very interested in because it's not just Freeman's, you know, a supplier to the NHS who are breaking the law in this way. And I, the reason I always stress that they're a supplier to the NHS is this, for me, is the, the thing that's really uh, indicative of what happens once you get into bed with people who sell bullshit. You know, these were people who were chosen to be a reliable and dependable and respectable supplier for us to be spending our money on, and they sell completely crazy stuff. You scratch the surface, and before you know it, you're in this cornucopia of oddity. Um, but they're not alone. So this was uh, there's Freeman's. Uh, you, I also bought this product here online from a UK distributor. This has no uh, license either, so it's unlawful. This is actually the subject of a class action lawsuit in America uh, because of the way that it was, it's, uh, it's marketed to people to say it works and it does something. It's got nothing in it. Uh, lawyers were successfully able to bring a case against the, the manufacturers and they're paying out an awful lot of money to people who bought it now. Um, this is uh, my homeopathic sunlight from Nelson's that I bought. Uh, this is water that's been in the sun too long uh, and you can pass that around and have a good look at that too. Um, Nelson's are the suppliers to Boots. Uh, they're the suppliers to the Royal London Homeopathic Hospital, uh, and they are the, the biggest, I'd say, homeopathy uh, distributor manufacturer in the country. And yet here they are breaking the law. Uh, sorry, yes? Uh, well, that's a good question. Well, I think what they, do, what they do is they fill a little vial of water and just leave it in some sunlight. So just when the sun's shining through the window, they just put it there. I, that's a good point. What do they do like diluted into? How's that water never seen the sun? We actually, I've asked, I don't normally take questions during, but that's a very good question. And I, I think I know the answer because we once asked a homeopath, how do you get water? Uh, that, because water has a memory. That's how homeopathy works. You dilute something. It remembers a thing that was diluted in it. We said, well, what about the memory that's still in the water that you're diluting it into? They said, oh, don't worry. We filter it. <laughs> so that's, that's, that answers that one. Um, I also bought some uh, some Schusler, uh tissue salt, which is a very low-level homeopathic dilution. Uh, I bought them from a company called the Nutri-Center, and the reason that one's interesting is that Nutri-Center are owned and operated by Tesco. Uh, so we have the biggest supermarket in the UK breaking the law by selling you unlicensed medicine, medicine without a license, uh, which is breaking the law, obviously. Uh, then there's my, uh, Heli my Helios uh, homeopathic x-ray, which I love because it comes in such a small little vial. It makes it feel uber-powerful. So there's my homeopathic x-ray water that's been through an x-ray machine. Uh, and then finally, just to prove that it isn't all fun and games and all song and dance and laughter, uh, this was the other thing I bought from a UK distributor. This is homeopathic diabetes medicine, uh, actually labelled as diabetes medicine. And it's actually right on there. And this just shows you that this stuff is really dangerous by omission rather than by, uh, by inclusion, as it were. Uh, and so this is why we're fighting this. And again, uh, if you wonder why we're fighting this and you think this is a really important thing, uh, there's a little subtle hint as to what you can do to kind of help us out there. Um, okay, so that's that's kind of our little brief sojourn into uh, into Glasgow, Scotland, and uh, homeopathic illegal uh, medicines. Uh, but let's come back south of the border and let's take a look at uh, Merseyside. I'll, I'll, I'll dispense with the game for now. Uh, here's the here's the five different CCGs in Merseyside that were spending money in homeopathy uh, to the tune of about £61,000. Uh, the top one obviously particularly annoyed me because we're based in Liverpool and we've been fighting homeopathy for years. So this is something that was very strongly on our radar that I really want to do something about these guys in Liverpool who are selling this stuff. Um, and then we come to the 17 mystery ones, which are all in London, the little orange ones. And what happened was, all these different 17 CCGs, we asked them how much are you spending on homeopathy? And they came back and said, we don't know. Because 
we have a contract with uh, the, uni- the what's it called, University Central London or the UCL anyway, uh, and they run several different hospitals in London. One of them is a homeopathic hospital. We just give them a load of money and don't ask them where it goes. We don't say how much goes to real medicine, how much goes to homeopathy. We leave that to them to figure out, and we never ask them is their story, and they were sticking to it. Um, so we went and asked the UCLH and said, well, you get money from all these different CCGs. How much of it goes to homeopathy? And UCLH said, we don't know. Because we don't track that kind of thing. We don't look at where the money goes. We don't look at when we have a supplier who gives us homeopathic remedies. They sometimes give us other stuff, and we don't ask them to break the invoices down. We don't hold on to copies of the contracts. We have no idea and no way of knowing how much homeopathy is in our building, how much comes in and how much goes out. We find this very, very, very hard to believe. I can't believe that there is this big building in the centre of London that has as best we can tell, uh, quite a lot going on in terms of homeopathy that doesn't have any clue, that doesn't even ask the question. Uh, And if this is true, if they don't ask that question, this should be a massive scandal because this could be a real black hole of money. But what is interesting is I asked all these different 17 CCGs round about uh, May of last year. Uh, In June of last year, the guy who asked in Bristol also asked these. And he got the same story. We don't know. There's no way we could possibly know. In March of last year, somebody asked just one of these CCGs individually, not in a bulk email, just one, and he got an answer. He lived in Merton, and he was told that uh, Merton CCG in 2013-14 spent £178,000 a year. So if we were to take for a second the idea that Merton is reflective of the rest of London, then that would mean the London Homeopathic Hospital is spending around about £3 million a year. And this is just the best guess that we could have, and ours is the best guess that's available because nobody seems to know this number. And this seems to be a massive, massive scandal to me, that there might be £3 million a year of our money going into a big black hole uh, that dispenses sugar pills to unknown amount. And I think this is something we should really care about. And it's something that our lawyers are in a long conversation with them, uh, with them about at the moment. And that's kind of where the donation money is going to fund our kind of lawyers' time. They're doing a lot of stuff for free, but they're also kind of been working for us for about a year and a half now. Um, so as best we can tell, there's a huge amount of money going into homeopathy in this country. And if we total the whole thing together, it's around about 5 million. I always say between 3 and 5 million is what it was in 2013, 2014. So that's the lie of the land. And that is, as I say, better than anybody at the NHS even has any clue about. What now? What do we do after this? You know, is this just a, a case of gathering the information and knowing? Or is there something we could do? Well, we started looking at what we could do. And the first place that we came to where we could see directly what the action was was in Liverpool. Because what happens is uh, we went through and looked at every time a contract was up for renewal. So whenever we had a a supplier at the CCG, we looked to see where their contract was going to be renewed. Because whenever a decision like that is made, whenever a funding decision, a contract is signed, you get this three-month period that starts then where you can challenge the decision through a judicial review, which is a a very lengthy, very complicated, very expensive legal procedure. Um, so what happened was in December 2014, the Liverpool CCG decided, they signed the contract and said, we are now going to carry on funding homeopathy. So we had three months, uh, and what we did in those three months was we pulled every single document we could get. We pulled every meeting from every minute, every agenda. We emailed them and said, any conversations you've had internally about this decision under freedom of information, you need to send us that so we can understand how this decision was made and why, because we need to make sure this was done lawfully, because you're going to spend £35,000 of our money on it. And this was three months of us going over this. And what we found was quite interesting because at the start of 2014, Liverpool and the surrounding CCGs uh, put five complementary medicines on the table that they currently funded to say, what should we do? Should we fund these or shouldn't we? Let's have a good look at the evidence. They spent three months going over all of the evidence in this review. And at the end, the review said, no evidence for any of this. Get rid of the lot of it. 
And then they went to a public consultation for two months, which is quite a long time for a public consultation, this kind of issue, and asked anybody for any feedback they had on any one of these kind of complementary medicines on the decision to get rid of it. Say, we're going to stop funding it. What do you think about that? And in that time, they got six responses from the public, and not one of them mentioned homeopathy. So very clearly, this wasn't a big issue. This wasn't like there was a massive groundswell of support. No one said a word about homeopathy. So obviously, at the end of all this, Liverpool decided to carry on funding homeopathy. They said, yep, not a problem. We'll sign this off. So we put this to them and said, this seems completely unlawful. You've, you've, gone, uh, you've kind of exceeded your powers by saying, here's the proposal. What do you think? Everyone didn't say anything about it. So you reversed it and made a totally different decision. This is unlawful. And so we, we filed papers against them. And so, uh, yeah, December is when they uh, made the, the uh, decision. February 2015, we managed to get our judicial review in after kind of three months solid working on it. Uh, by March and April, they conceded. They said, yeah, okay, we could see how some people might think we behaved unlawfully. So we're going to, uh, without admitting any fault, we're going to retract our decision and start again. So we managed to, to haul back the tide on that, really, and, and stop this decision being made, uh, which meant that they, uh, instead of cancelling the contract, they said, well, this contract's going to run on a month-to-month basis while we do another review, and at any point, we can just cancel this whole thing. Um, so in June and July, we've been working with the CCG to tell them how that consultation should take place, because what they don't want to do is to do another consultation, screw up again, and find themselves being essentially sued again. So they're working with us to say, well, how exactly should this consultation, what, what should this look like? And we're working with them to say, here are the questions that you should ask. You shouldn't just be asking people, tell us about the times that homeopathy worked for you. You need to look at a very kind of structured and very clear and very kind of fair way, and here's all the evidence. And this is what we're currently in the middle of doing. And then the next step from here is once this consultation goes live, uh, we'll be working with the Merseyside Skeptic Society, others in the, in the local area, so that we can be part of that consultation as local residents and people who care about this, who otherwise might be missing from that conversation because the last time this review happened, they didn't go cap in hand to the skeptics saying, what do you think about homeopathy? They went to the people who use the homeopathic hospital. They went to the local homeopaths. They went to homeopathy support groups. They didn't ask our side of the conversation because often in, the, in those conversations, the skeptical voice is absent. We not a, an effective lobby group but that's what good thinking is trying to be is trying to put ourselves and represent ourselves in that kind of conversation so around the country where this happens we can make sure that skeptics are involved local skeptics who care about this whose money is going on this can actually be part of this and this now is is, is quite a useful thing because we published this it was in a, a couple of the newspapers at the time and um, we published this through the science media center and they described it as a real and symbolic victory which i thought was a very nice way of putting it because there was a very real element of victory to this. Liverpool reversed their decision. They were still funding for the time being, but that funding was, uh, was on a limited kind of run until they decided whether they'd go ahead or not. And they can't do the same thing again. They can't make a decision the same way because it was unlawful. They're going to take us into account. There's much, much more chance that they're going to come up with a much better result. But the symbolism of it, I think, is quite important because every other CCG that funds homeopathy then got a letter from us saying, this is what happened in Liverpool. Do you want to review your spending? Do you want to cease spending? Because we're going to be watching for the next time you sign a contract and we're going to do this too. So you've got to make sure that when you're signing contracts, the process is lawful, that you're looking at the evidence, that you're looking at the best available evidence. Otherwise, you're subject to judicial review. And we know that if they're looking at the evidence, it's almost impossible for them to say, yes, we will still fund homeopathy in spite of the fact that we know it doesn't work. And the other thing is, it also, you know, we're able to challenge our kind of contracts, and it makes CCGs, and it makes the NHS, and it makes kind of local kind of bodies aware that skeptics are a thing. And I think this isn't about threatening the CCGs, because what we found was, in speaking to people here and there, they're actually broadly in support of us. 
But for them, they've always had the homeopathy lobby on their back. And that's kind of why things get pushed through, because they've only got the arguments coming from the other side. So when we turn up and offer a balance of the argument, they get to step out and just look at the evidence. So we're actually able to help them make these decisions. And we find that a lot of CCGs who've been writing back to us, without saying as much, seem between the lines to be essentially saying, here's, here's what we're doing at the moment if you'd want to do something. You know, it's because they, they're doctors, they, they know they've got finite funds, and they want to do the things the right way. Um, so as a result of all that kind of stuff, since, uh, since we did this uh, even six months ago, this is now what the map looks like in terms of where you can get homeopathy in this country. Um, so first of all, all those CCGs, since we started the campaign, have ceased funding homeopathy. Um, I don't, I'm not, not sure if all of them are to do with us. I, I imagine there were some of these conversations already ongoing, but certainly our uh, making an issue of this makes it much easier for them to justify their decision not to fund. And then uh, there's another four that are currently reviewing in Bristol, Liverpool, South Gloucester, and Merle. And then uh, in, uh, earlier this year, the Bristol Homeopathic Hospital announced they were no longer going to be funding homeopathic remedies. They're just not going to give out any more homeopathy. God knows what that building is going to become, but it's no longer a homeopathic hospital. So that £250,000 that was going on homeopathy is definitely going to be reduced, not least because some of these places are reviewing and have cancelled, but because they don't have an entire building to maintain anymore. So we probably saved a couple of hundred thousand pounds right there, I'd imagine, across the work that we've done so far. Um, and I think this tide is sort of heading in the right direction. We've got a big, big issue to tackle in London. This is something we're still going to be looking at. Um, but it feels like this is kind of all going the right way. And I'd like to think that in a couple of years' time, we could be talking about the fact that homeopathy is just not available on the NHS. Um, if we look at even the pie chart, you can see the slice that actually definitely still funds homeopathy is incredibly small now. It's 3%, two of those, 2% of those are actually reviewing. Um, I also want to show you a few other kind of charts about uh, success or the direction of homeopathy in this country. Uh, this is information compiled by the Nightingale Collaboration, who's another charity who does fantastic work looking at um, legacy and, uh, and regulations and, uh, and funding decisions, things like that. And what they found, this top chart is the number of, uh, of prescriptions for homeopathy uh, on the NHS over the last 20 years. And it's very, very clear what's going on. You know, it's a very clear downward trend. And this is how much we're spending on just prescriptions, so not kind of consultations, just the actual sugar pills themselves. And that's gone too. So it's very, very clear that demand is completely falling off as the world kind of wakes up to the fact that this is nonsense. Um, but I also want to show you my data as well. So what I did was, um, in 2010, the evidence check uh, that the government undertook as to what, uh, whether there's any good reason to, to support homeopathy... It took a look at all of the, the, the CCGs, or the equivalents at the time, to see what they'd been spending between 2006 and 2009. And so it's a bit of a rough conversion because the boundaries have changed, but once we kind of convert that, and we can find that of, uh, of all the, the, the CCGs, 172 never funded homeopathy at all across any of the stats. Uh, 17 didn't tell us the, like, what their data was, but we've got 32 where we have got data we can actually track. And so I'll put this on a graph, and you can see here's each of the different CCGs in their spending as per the 2010 evidence check, and the spending as they report to me. And you can see it's really tailing away, most of them coming right down to almost nothing. And to collate those into one overall figure to give you a much better impression, this is what the national kind of figure looks like up to the start of 2014. So it's not even including the stuff of the last three months, last six months. So there's a huge number of really great wins, I think, going on here. And this is something that we're going to be pushing much further. Um, because we're pushing it much further, I'll do one final plug for our donations. I mean, it's taken hundreds and hundreds of hours of, uh, of our time as a charity and more than 100 hours of our, our lawyers' time too, support from other charitable bodies. Um, we're going to be working in Liverpool, which is going to need expertise and uh, anything you can do to support us as a charity. This is only one very narrow slice of what we've been doing over the last 18 months. It's very one project out of uh, quite a few. Um, so yeah, if you are interested at all, uh, then that's how you can support us. But other than that, thank you so much for listening. I've really enjoyed talking to you.